Welcome to Boating Insights. This is a podcast about achieving your boating dreams, brought to you by Above and Beyond Boating. We deliver the leading courses to skipper your own boat. Okay, well, welcome back to the Boating Insights. We are lucky enough today to be joined by Kate Fornham from the RYA uh, Green Blue campaign, who uh, Kate's a campaign manager. Um, so Kate, thanks very much for joining us. Could you just... Um, just kick us off, just explain a little bit about what the Green Blue is and, um, and, and what you do there. Yeah, hi Neil, um, thanks for inviting me along for this interview. Um, yeah, the Green Blue is the environmental awareness program for the Royal Yachting Association and British Marine in the UK. So if you're not familiar with the RWA, it runs all the, um, develops all the training courses, and looks after sailing clubs and centres. Um, as well as individual boaters out there and British marine side is the industry so marinas anyone um, commercially um, looking into the marine sector so um, the green blue tries to educate both sides and bring those together so for example if we're asking boat users to do x y and z um, then if the marine sector is providing products and services and facilities to enable them to do that um, it means that we can really move forward in terms of environmental sustainability. Awesome. I love it. And um, I mean, uh, so just a little bit of background for you guys. I've, um, I've met Kate from uh, just putting together the last kind of 10% of our Yacht Master Online course that's about to go live and, um, and found that the green blue resources uh, were excellent and um, we've been having a look at the 10 essential habits to prevent pollution and minimize disturbance. And what kind of got me most excited about this is, yeah, I think generally as boaters, we're all passionate about the sea or hopefully. Um, and there's a lot of focus on plastic, which makes sense. There should be, but um, the green bleeds kind of looked beyond this. And also w- what I, I hope we'll be able to share with you and why I was so excited to get Kate with us today is, that there's some exactly what we like to give you at Boating Insights. It's actual practical things that you can do in your everyday boating that don't require spending lots of money or massive behavioral change that can have a positive impact. Um, and I think that's brilliant. And that's what uh, we're just going to share with you. Um, so I think it's probably best if we just run through a few, why don't we um, start with things that go into the, ocean kate so i mean there's um stuff in here in with the green blue here about um fuel and spills and and also kind of cleaning products for boats have you got some tips that, and ideas that we can kind of share for people about um what they what the best practice is around around that yeah absolutely so yeah in terms of when you get on board a boat um most of our gray water is going straight out into the water um and potentially causing pollution. So it's ideal to really think about every product we're using, be it cleaning in a galley, um, be it shampoos, um, hand wash um, in the heads, um, toilet cleaner, the whole lot. Um, So before sort of heading out onto your boat or potentially um, doing a bit of a recce of your boat and seeing what products you already have on board and what could be replaced. Ideally, you want to be avoiding using um, products containing bleach, chlorine or phosphates and looking for more sort of natural ingredients. Um, The Green Blue uh, has tried to help boat users by developing a Green Blue uh, product directory, if you like. So on our website, 
we have some cleaning product providers which have been certified by MARPOL regulations in the UK um, to say that it will have minimal impact on the environment. So um, we're trying to help the boat user make those more educated decisions. So do go and check that out. Um, and um, in terms of cleaning on deck, I mean, we always say use water and a bit of elbow grease to be fair. And, and if you do have a teak, teak deck, if you're using products on the silicon in between, then it's potentially going to wear that down anyway. So water is always the best solution. And um, that would be my recommendations. That's, that's awesome. It's, um, it's funny. I remember years ago, we, um, I used to, uh, run an oyster and we had one of the deck hardware guys, um, being, you know, high end brand, they'd fl- flown out to, uh, kind of run over everyone's boats before we crossed the Atlantic. And I said, oh, I've never really managed to get a good answer about what to do with these clutches. And he just said, I mean, it, it's literally this simple that everything on the boat loves fresh water, like just get it out and get using it. It's, um, I think it's it's a it's an easy one to forget that all of the those kind of hardcore products that we're using on board are potentially just well they're all just pouring into the into the ocean and and that's not a great not a great scenario so um well thank you for that one the uh let's have a little chat then in terms of fueling um I know we've got some tips around using a fuel uh, fuel color um any other tips for sort of fueling up to try and avoid uh, ending up with the fuel in the ocean other than just pay attention? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the fuel collar is a kind of exorbitant, um, it looks a bit like a donut that goes on the end of a fuel nozzle and it captures the drips. Um, some of you may be familiar with when you're fueling up on a pontoon and you get that kind of what we call blowback coming up the, um, um, the fuel line. So when the air is escaping, and unfortunately it, uh, it can trickle down the side of our boats or onto the pontoons or into the water. So um, that's one device, but you do end up having to dispose of it anyway. Um, another great tip would be to install a bilge filter onto your boat that automatically extracts oil and even microplastics out of your bilge before pumping out into open water. And it ranges, you can get them for £100, £150 in the UK. Um, So it's not a huge, massive expense. And usually you only have to empty them once every six months. So you don't have to fiddle around with putting maybe a bilge sock in, which is another alternative. Um, And some boaters do decide to put bilge sock in, which is, again, an absorbent type boom under the engine, which absorbs just the oil and not the water. Um, but again, you do have a bit of that mess. It is a bit smelly. But if you've got a, re- if you're maintaining your engine really well and your fuel lines and making sure that they're not leaking, then you may not actually have too much oil going into that water, and um, a bilge sock might be suitable. But otherwise, definitely get a bilge filter, which is um, installed into the pump line, if you like. Awesome. Re- that's such good advice. And um, I think even for the the people that are just purely thinking about this commercially, it will pay for itself in not getting fined as well. So even if you weren't just doing it for the, uh, for the environment, there'd be a commercial argument for it as well. Cause a, a, you don't have to put a huge amount of fuel or oil into the, uh, into a Harbor to find yourself with some fairly significant fines, understandably in, in, in a lot yeah. of parts of the world as well. Um, there's actually another i just thought of another device um um, that we kind of look at it's called a fuel whistle so you can put it into the fuel line actually and when you're refilling 
um, and you're not sure if your tank's full or not. So it's a question of sort of keep on checking so it doesn't overflow. Um, as the air's escaping, as you're refueling, it creates a whistle sound. And then as that whistle drops down, you know that the tank's getting full and then you can take the nozzle out. So that's another great little device there. And what's great about in Australia is a lot of the marinas have the spill kits there. They usually have staff, a lot of them helping, helping in terms of doing the refueling themselves. And, and they're fully trained in how to do that without creating spills. So, you know, going to a marina that has a clean marina program certification um, or um, one of the gold anchors, um, they should have environmental sort of expertise and training there. So that's another another thing to look out for. Um, no, that the uh it's 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 a really good point and i think just getting set up for it it's something which um, maybe we'll just bust bust the myth on this one quickly is um the uh dispersal of the fuel if you know if you do spill it and you don't happen to have a fuel t- you know let's say you're filling up from a jerry can and you haven't got a, mm-hmm. a yellow fuel spill kit there um you know, there was a point in time I was actually taught to use washing up liquid on the fuel. Um, <laughs> so can you just um, just help explain that one for people so they understand um, why, why that's no longer the advice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I go and do talks at clubs on um, boating best practice, um, I usually approach this one going, come on, own up, Who, who's had a spill? Someone's had a spill. Um, and then you might get a few sort of shy hands um, raising up and I'll say, okay, tell me, how did you clean it up? And classic, um, put detergent on it. That's what you do when you're washing up in a sink, breaks it up. But that's the issue. It breaks up the oil or the fuel into smaller parts and it also makes them heavier. So what happens is it increases the spread of that across the surface of the water. So you're potentially reaching a large area, makes it harder then to clean up with maybe some absorbent pads on the water. And also because um, that detergent wraps around the oil, it helps it to sink into the water column. So therefore it's accessing more, um, more of the water and also other species that might be living in there. Brilliant. Um, thank you. Um, let's go now on to... Um, oh, I think we should probably do the, the fruit one as well. Um, I, I, it's funny you know i think back over the you know because there was there was a point that this beautiful list we've now got had um and uh, you know well inside my lifetime it, it this used to be a list of purely telling you what you could throw overboard at what distances from shore uh which i'm sure yeah. you remember you probably cut it um and i think you know i think back it, it, there was a point in time that everything was going over the side of boats and um and now um I think something a lot of people don't realize is even like food, um, orange peel, apple. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mm. not the done thing anymore. Um, can you just kind of explain a bit around that or, you know, things that shouldn't go overboard that people probably s- still might think that they can like paper or metal. Maybe I don't, yeah. I mean, I think we all know about sewerage, but there's, there's a few that I think <laughs> catch, catch people by surprise. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you said, um, you know, 30 odd years ago, people would be slinging bottles over the side of the boats. And, um, and I think people are a lot more educated now and we just don't see that happening. Um, but yeah, there is always that sort of question around the food and what's biodegradable. 
what a lot of charter companies do um, is they kind of have a policy on board or even individual boaters of we will just not throw anything overboard and that, that saves with the confusion of what can I throw what can't I and I really recommend having like a recycling bin on board and a general waste so when you do get on shore um, you can dispose of that you know appropriately um, yes you do find that you know people um, will want to throw their sort of leftover foods they don't want it hanging around on the boat because it smells and also because of limited amount of space um, and I do think that marinas potentially or marina operators could start looking into more compostable options so when you bring your waste on you know food waste you can dispose of that um so it can be a little bit tricky but we say just throw nothing and like you said the orange pill actually can last up to two years in the water it's it's very unsightly um and 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 yeah visually for um other boat users uh, other users of the water as well um so Yes, that's that's where I would go with that one. <laughs> awesome, and and I mean, I think great point with the the smell. We've we've found just using um, you know, like, like a reasonable size, like um, what we call Ziploc here, but you know, just a decent sealable plastic box, and you're just mm. kind of getting the food into that, so it's not all ending up in the bin, um, and that that yeah. that just makes a huge difference as well. So at least it's a bit stinky when you open it, but at least you can shut the lid again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, all Tupperware using um, compostable bags within there as well. Something that where you can seal it up um, is a great idea. Um, and also just making sure you're not having lots of food waste on board. So when you are cooking, making sure you've got the right ingredients, um, that you are using um, Tupperware boxes to put them away so the food lasts longer as well. Um, and just being really savvy about your food plan. And if you're having people coming on board that are going to be cooking and you're sharing the cooking with um, and you've already got food on board why not just give them a uh, a menu or recipe if you like for them to follow um, instead of them bringing their own food on etc um, so it's about minimizing that waste initially and then you, then you'll only have a little small amount to deal with awesome um now let's um let's go out the other side a little bit so um uh, the sort of in, invasive species it's something which um has come up I'll, I'll just a quick background for people with we've, we've mentioned the term on this podcast a couple of times now with marpole uh, a lot of people have heard of the irpcs which is you know the international regulations for prevention of cruelty to ships or collisions at sea and widely talked about everyone's heard of it marpole is essentially the environmental equivalent of this so um they are the, the, the international regulations and that the, the, the things that we're talking about here, that's, that's driven from MARPOL at a higher level. And, um, and as I say, on, on my radar, because it, it's, it's, a, uh, you know, it's a 16th of the Yachtmaster syllabus. However, um, from a, as a commercial seaman, I learn all about invasive species and being aware of this all the way through to emptying ballast tanks and things. For a normal recreational boater that might be moving around, it's not really something that you, they hear about. Can you kind of explain, like, one, I suppose, what the issue is, and then two, um, how they yeah. how they try and manage it? Yeah, and, and this is not exclusive to the larger vessels, commercial, you know, 400 gigaton, 15 passenger vessels, which come under MARPOL regulations. Any craft is potentially a vector for transporting an invasive non-native species from one water body to another. 
And actually the smaller craft, like stand-up paddle boards, windsurfers, that are easily movable from one location to another are actually a higher risk of transporting them. The issue with the larger ships is they are traveling from across the world. So there's a higher increase in bringing species, and we're talking about here with boating, aquatic invasive species. We have terrestrial ones as well. Um, and I'm sure in Australia, you're very familiar with it. When you fly into Australia, you have to sign a form saying, that if you're bringing water sports equipment in, it's being cleaned and washed, um, and you will have ones that are on land. So in England, our classic one is the grey squirrel, <laughs> um, which outcompeted the red squirrel. So the grey squirrel is an invasive species that was brought into the UK. And when it becomes invasive, it's when it's causing harm to wildlife or it's causing a massive economic cost. And unfortunately, we do have a high number of them being transported due to increase in globalization. In terms of smaller craft and boats, we are still transporting them. We put anti-foul on our yachts, which helps to minimize biofouling attaching, which may contain invasive species. So that is one way. But we are looking at having more environmentally friendly type of anti-fouling rather than a traditional paint, because um, that has other environmental issues even though it does benefit in uh, preventing these invasive species attaching. Um, what you essentially need to do as a boater is making sure that you're not having biofouling on the bottom by continually cleaning it when it's just a small sort of algae layer. Um, anything more than that, you really need to be bringing your boat out of the water and having um, the biofouling professionally removed. And if you can find a marina with a filtered wash down system so that's where the boat gets lifted out it gets power sprayed and they have a, a chamber underneath that which captures one the antifoul residue but also any invasive species and then that can be taken away and disposed of correctly um, and anything else just making sure anything that's going in the water is washed with fresh water after use as often as possible leaving things out in uv light um, because that reduces the survival rate of these species. Um, and it is the fifth, basically the fifth largest threat to biodiversity in the world currently. Wow. When we're talking about invasive species. So it's something that the boating community needs to be acting on. Here in the UK, the Green Blue has been working on this for many years now, working with government in putting in guidance and recommendations for the boating community. And they create um, awareness posters, signs um, that we have available that can be put up at sailing club centres to help educate boaters. We also have some great videos um, on how you actually wash your boat down and remove them for dinghies, windsurfers. So it's worth having a look at that on our website as well. And, and I'm sure Neil will probably um, take some of those and maybe put them on his own website as well. So. We'll put the videos. We'll also, um, the, uh, the green, I mean, it's, it's thegreenblue.org.uk, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have the link straight out into the, into the show sure. notes. As a quick side note on that as well, well, just while we're mentioning this, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll just pull in, in. um, kind of, th uh, Kate's kind of three top tips that you can, uh, you can take into your boating um at the end of this but uh, the other thing i've found on the website while i was looking through all this it's great is some quiz cards um they're sort of put there as instructor resources but they're really 
uh, good way, either as a racing skipper or, um, you know, with your family, whatever you're doing, but just, uh, there's some cool stuff in there that you can just use. And the quiz has got the answers in case you don't know them. But, um, it, it, as I read through them, you know, to get some inspiration for some of our quizzes and it got me thinking about loads of different things that you just, you can do that you just haven't thought about. So it's highly recommend having a look at those as well. Um, now, um, just to, to kind of wrap this one up, uh, for the day, um, could I just get a couple from you, Kate, sort of your, what would be your sort of three top tips for your, your standard boater to get themselves, um, uh, just doing, you know, a little bit more for the environment than they might be at the moment. Um, so, I mean, we've already covered um, the cleaning product aspect. I think that's something that's quite straightforward to do. There's lots of alternative products out there in the stores that are more environmentally friendly. So that's the first thing. Have a look on your boat, see what you've got in your, um, your wash bag and see what you can swap in on that one. Generally, when you're out on the water around wildlife, um, and habitats, making sure you're operating your boat to avoid disturbance. So making sure you're keeping at least 100 metres um, away from wildlife to minimise that disturbance. And also when you're anchoring somewhere along the coastline, find out where you want to anchor. Is it a marine protected area? Um, if so, making sure that we're following the RWA's anchoring techniques to um, minimise impact. So thanks so much for coming uh, coming online today. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Neil. And good luck to everyone in making your baiting more sustainable. <laughs> <laughs>